everyone. Welcome to the Holyoke Community Church. If you're able, would you stand with us as we begin our time of worship through songs? Glad you're here with us today.
start our morning by reminding us of those truths. Welcome to Holy Community Church. So glad you're here. Would you take a moment now, greet the community around you, and students, follow Ryan.
Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara, the Director of Community Life. If you have your bulletins, go ahead and pull those out. If you flip to the inside cover, you see our prayer and connection card. And you see on the other side, we have all these events coming up. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for our weekly newsletter, right there on the screen, you can go to ljcc.org slash contact us. You can sign up for the e-news or if you have an online prayer request or something that happens during the middle of the week, you just can throw that email and just send it to us and we'll have people praying for you almost immediately. But I want to go jump right into the events. We have lots of things going on here. And in a couple weeks, we have our, our women's retreat. It's called Fixer Upper. It's up at Forest Home. Uh, it's from the 5th to 7th of April. If you know a woman that was, it could be interested or is in a kind of a rough spot, this could be a great opportunity. This next slide will show us the, the speaker, uh, Danina. Here is a, she's a phenomenal speaker. Dominic has done a retreats with her and her husband, and she's just empowering, just really a great speaker. So you will, you will miss out if you don't go hear her. Uh, her husband, her husband's going through a rough time with, with some, um, I think it was brain tumors, and they're both singers, and now he's not singing as much anymore. So she's just got this powerful testimony. So if you know someone that needs to just get motivated, just that, just that little bit more, this is the retreat to go to. Also, we're coming up towards Holy Week in April, and we got the Easter block party kicking off on Saturday, April 13th, right here. Last year, we had over 700 people come to our campus and just experience Jesus' love and just experience that this church is here and we care about our community. But the key component to that, the key, the juice to all that that makes it happen is volunteers. And we need volunteers, either bringing candy. Some of you have brought tons of candy. I was carrying huge bags of candy out today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Easter eggs, great. We have a stuffing party on the 7th. We're going to stuff candy into those eggs. We're going to pray over those eggs. It's going to be a fantastic time. And then the 13th is the big day. We're going to have all these people coming to our campus. We need people to help with parking. We need people to help with food and registration and just doing fun things with the kids. So if that's you, come see me after the service and I will get you plugged in. Or you can go to our website and find out more information. A couple of things to look at is Good Friday is going to be here. And it's going to be from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. And then just two days later, on the 21st, is going to be our Easter celebration. And it's, here's the big note. That write down the times. It's 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., different than our normal time. So if you are a 9 a.m. -er or you're a 10.45, or pick a service that you want to go to. And here's the key. Start thinking about who you're going to pray for, who you're going to invite. You have that prayer request in, the, in your bulletin. Write someone down, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. A kid or a parent that is kind of just estranged from Jesus. This is an opportunity. We can start praying with you and you can start praying for that person because I can tell you it's a fact that the highest time of the year people search for a church is that time of the year, Easter time. Easter's big. People see it and they well, what's Easter about? I want to, you know what? I have Christianity in my background. I've heard about Jesus. Maybe I should go to a church and they start looking for it. And then you come along with an invitation, and we have invitations in the, in the uh, foyer there, and you say, hey, I'd like you to come to Easter with me. What a phenomenal opportunity we all have. So write that person down, and let's start praying for that person. Uh, we are a church that's rooted in prayer. So you're going to hear prayer, 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 prayer. That's all you get. You go and pray. Shh, fantastic. Go with it. Last week, we had a fantastic prayer event here called Rooted in Prayer, led by Georgia Georgia Caucus, Kathy Hunt, Liz Huddleston. Liz, are you here? Yeah, there's Liz, Mike Hedman. It was just a great opportunity just to focus back on prayer and how essential it is for our life. So with that, I want to ask Kathy to come up and pray for us. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we gather to worship you with gladness. We come before you with joyful songs. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Father, during this Lenten season, as we remember the journey of Jesus to the cross, we are humbled and awed by his focus and faithful obedience to your redemptive plan for our salvation. We thank you, Father, that you have given us tools of confession, prayer, fasting, and giving through which we can unleash the awesome power and joy of living in you. Hear now our silent confession. Only you can break the shackles of our sin, and only you love us enough to do it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with our sisters in Christ. May the upcoming women's retreat be a time of worship, refreshment, expanded friendships, encouragement, and growth for all who attend. We also pray, Father, for your chosen servants that you will call to join the Board of Trustees here at La Jolla Community Church. May they be a perfect fit in gifting and serve with godly wisdom, unity, and joy. Lord, Lord, we know that there are those among us today who are facing big challenges in their lives. But Lord, you are bigger than all of them, and so we place our trust in you alone. We ask where there is illness, you would bring healing. Where there is frustration and waiting, you will express encouragement. Where there is a need of employment, you will make connections. Where there are damaged relationships, you will remind us of the price of your great forgiveness. And where there are prayers for salvation, you, Jesus, will step in. Be now with Pastor Steve as he continues to give us the keys to running life's rapids with Jesus. We pray these things in the glorious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, well, good morning to you uh, on this beautiful spring morning. At least it was until a little cloudy. I hope you're enjoying this new season we're in. Uh, maybe the rain is behind us and all the flowers are coming up. It's, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, our, our staff uh, was talking uh, uh, around some, some coffee before our staff meeting, and a couple of the staff people were talking about their kids that are you know, fourth, fifth, sixth graders uh, having to do these, these uh, uh, student teacher events, a parent teacher event, we call them. Uh, but now, apparently, you maybe uh, you know this because of your own kids, that the kids actually leads the thing. So these, these kids that are in, in fifth and sixth grade, for example, are leading the parent teacher time, which would have been a hoot, uh, I mean, uh, to, to see, really that they're in charge of talking about their assessment and what they're learning and where they are. And I thought, wow, what a great thing. What if everybody had to, had to stand and deliver, so to speak? <clears throat> and everybody at whatever age and stage on a regular basis had to stand up and say, so Eric, tell us uh, your self-assessment. Where are you right now? Uh, okay, so uh, Laura, well, your self-assessment, where are you? Uh, okay, Brad, we'd love to hear you know, your self-assessment. How cute that is, you know? They, apparently, though, they don't do it in junior high because they go, look, I don't really have to tell you. But in the, when you're fifth or sixth grade, well, let me tell you what I'm working on and my project and what I'm learning. <clears throat> um, but when, you, when you're coming into a place like this, a church, you, you could be 
all over the place in terms of where you are in a faith, a no faith, or exploring faith. So typically what's happened is this. People have sorted themselves out, uh, research shows that, in four basic categories. Uh, some people coming to a church would say, look, I'm here because I'm exploring Christ. I'm, I'm open, uh, I'm curious, uh, I'm, I'm dating someone, somebody in my family has a strong faith and they've challenged me to come to church and check it out. And so you're exploring Christ. You're asking the question. You're saying, is this true? Why is it true? What are the implications of this? And maybe you can say, oh my gosh, I remember when I was in that place. Uh, the church was very welcoming and inviting to allow me to process uh, a lot of what I was wrestling with about my faith. As people move into that, uh, through that, oftentimes they'll say, okay, I'm convinced. I'm going I'm to step out in faith and enter into this relationship with Jesus. That's typically described as growing in Christ. A person would say, look, I don't know anything. I'm a new believer. Uh, I'm a little nervous about going to one of these life groups I keep hearing about because I don't know the Bible. I don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, but I'm open. And they're, they're trying to figure out how to read through the Bible, what the books mean, what the you know, old and new, what, you know. And so that growing in Christ place is very exciting because you're like a baby. Everything is just vertical in terms of your growth. You're learning so much. You're putting so many things together. And you know so little, you remember so much. You know, uh, if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, sometimes you're thinking, now where was that again? But if you're a new reader, you just know exactly, well, that's why I read that. This is what I'm getting out of the Bible. That leads into a, a, a category that people describe themselves as being committed to Christ. You know, I've, I've been growing in my relationship. I, I'm still asking lots of questions, but I've got some patterns and structure now that, you know, how, how I use my time, my talent, my treasure. I, I really am getting more committed and I see this as more uh, as part of my, my world, my, my inner life, my external life. And then the fourth category would be people who would say, you know, I can't imagine my life but for Jesus at the center of it. Uh, that would be described as Christ-centered. And it's not really, really a trophy ceremony. You know, I just like to announce I'm Christ-centered. Uh, bring the award. I'd like to receive it, say a few words on the reception of the award. It's more like saying, you know, I just can't imagine my life but for Jesus. My life makes no sense without Jesus. I remember when I was asking the questions, who needs Jesus? Growing in my, my, my faith, I don't quite see where Jesus fits in, in all parts of my life. Committed to Christ, all right, this is starting to come together. And now, uh, I'm, I, I guess I have to say I'm, I'm Christ-centered. It's not a boast, it's just a description. You can be five years old and be Christ-centered. You can be 10 years old, 15, you can be 20, you can be 40, you can be 90. Or you can be any of those ages and be exploring, growing, or committed. Why I even talk, why I even talk about these categories? It's a way of saying, uh, can I name and own where I am? Because sometimes I've bumped into people who've been coming to church for a long time and they're embarrassed to say, you know, I'm, I'm really, I don't know where I am. I've been at it for a long time, but I don't know my way around the Bible. I don't know where Jesus fits in lots of parts of my life. And yet I've been here a long time, so where am I? And, and probably uh, that's a vast majority of people in America. They say, I have this relationship with the church I don't quite see why it would be such an essential part of my life. It's important, I respect it, but I really don't make decisions based on it, I don't make big life choices, etc. And, and, and then the issue for us, and that's why we're in this series, uh, Running Life's Rapids. How do I deal with the inevitable conflicts in life? Have you, have you all noticed how conflictual life is? I mean, how, who's had a conflict in the last, I don't know, 10 minutes? Maybe 10 minutes? Okay, fine, the drive over? Okay, I understand that. And then, uh, you know, in the last week, uh, every, well, yeah, every time I turn on the news, I have a conflict, you know, until I find my channel that actually tells me the truth and confirms all my bias, uh, my beliefs, and 
Uh, and so conflict is a big issue because ultimately the way you want to test out where you are with God is to say, how do you assess, how do you see, how do you embrace, how do you experience conflict? And again, I wish we had time to in interview each other and say, what is your feeling about conflict? You might say, conflict is a failure. Any conflict in a marriage, in a family, in a career uh, is, a, is a sign of failure. Conflict is always a failure. Wow, okay. Somebody else might say, uh, I thrive on conflict because I just love mixing it up and getting people upset and then watching them, you know, blow up, you know. Um, years ago, I was doing some research on leadership, trying to understand uh, Leadership more beyond the, yeah, inspire people, control people, manage people, inform people, uh, <clears throat> have a title. Uh, and as I'm working through all this stuff on, on, on leadership, I was a little frustrated because it, it seemed like variations on a theme, but not really getting into the hard, hard, hard thing it is to be a leader. And, then, and a, a friend who was up at Stanford Business School uh, came back to Newport and said, oh my gosh, we've been, because we've been having these conversations about <clears throat> leadership and how conflictual it is and why is that never in a definition? He goes, you won't believe it. Um, uh, this new quarter, I have a class with this guy named Jim Collins, and he is uh, phenomenal, and he, his definition of leadership includes the word conflict. And I read it, I thought, this is brilliant, this is awesome. First time I'd ever seen the word conflict embedded in a, in a definition or description of leadership. As if that was the heart of leadership, is to deal with conflict. I don't know if that seems like a big breakthrough idea to you, but for me at the time, it was so profound that I was working on, on, um, on, on getting, uh, teaching a class at Fuller Seminary called Teaching and Leading in the Church. This was definitely going to be the blind leading the naked with me teaching this class. And I'm trying to wrestle with the implications of leadership beyond just having those cliches. And so I contacted Jim uh, Collins and said, hey, can I use your definition? He goes, oh, yeah, by all means. And, and every time I, I, I throw it out to people, they go, my gosh, this answers so many questions. This relieves so many self-doubts I had. Because everywhere I go as a leader, I'm, I'm immersed in conflict. Right. If you're, if you're a leader and you're not immersed in conflict, what are you leading? A cemetery reunion? I don't know. What would you be, what would you be, what would you be leading? And they might have conflict you don't know about. Um, uh, and so <clears throat> th this, this, this notion of, of running life's rapids is all about saying, how do we deal with the inevitable bumps in life and not just see them as signs of our failure, my marriage is screwed up, my family's a mess, my kids aren't doing what I want them to do, my grandkids are, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or my church isn't, or my government, or you, anywhere you look. And you want to throw up your hands and say, fine, let somebody else deal with it. Um, <clears throat> I think every kid in school who feels like, I might be in the wrong grade because I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you want to comfort that kid by saying, you know what, hang in there because you're in the right place. If you're in school and you have no idea what's going on, that's where you want to be. That means you're gonna learn something. You're gonna get money out of that tuition. Um, and so uh, all the kids who have paid for their kids to get into schools they don't deserve to be in will be happy to realize that I have nothing but education ahead of me here because I don't know, I don't know anything. You know, I got in, and now it's up to me to get out, you know? And so I wanna ask you this question. In the context of running life's rapids, and we see that this letter from Peter, now we're in 1 Peter chapter three, if this letter is addressing conflict head on, if, in fact, he is writing to people who are exiles, literally exiles, not figurative exiles, oh, you're far from heaven. You're on your way home to be with the Lord. The Lord will return someday, all true. But he's talking to people who literally are exiles. I lived in Israel, now I've been sent out, I've been pushed out, I'm living in a Roman province, we call it Turkey, 
Uh, they had all these other names for it, Pontus, uh, Cappadocia, etc. Uh, I am I'm the least, the last, and I'm the lost. I'm being taken advantage of and abused by Romans. I have no citizenship, I have no voice. I, I'm at somebody else's beck and call, and it's a mess. I hate it. Why would God let me go through this? And this is the letter, the context of Peter's letter. Literally, you're a foreigner, you're an exile, you're a stranger in the land. And guess what? That means God has given you a promotion. He's promoting you to a place of significance to be my hands and feet in that place that desperately needs you, who doesn't care if you're there, would prefer if you weren't there, except they enjoy your cheap labor. The only thing that could be better would be if you just volunteered, they wouldn't have to feed you. It's a horrible letter to read because as you start getting into the letter, you realize, oh my gosh, these people are stuck. And they're wondering, why? What do we do? What's gonna happen to our kids in this environment? Nothing worse than being a dad or a mom and being disrespected by every authority your kids look at and go, what's up with my family? Why are we in this situation? So he's writing this letter to people inherently in conflict. As I read through the letter uh, uh, last year, thinking about what, you know, the planning, the year of preaching, I thought, wow, this is the kind of letter we should read uh, because it sensitizes us to the fact that uh, mostly in life, you don't control anything. Uh, mostly in life, you're dealing with Rapid after rapid after rapid, and you're going, it's just overwhelming. What am I doing wrong to be in this situation? It'd be like if you're talking to somebody saying, you said, hey, how was that Colorado River trip? They go, it's horrible. Oh my gosh, what happened? Oh my gosh, we got the water right away. Rapid, rapid, rapid. <laughs> I don't know why I paid so much money. <laughs> well, there's a reason there's a waiting list. Those rapids are supposed to be an adventure, fun. Well, nobody told me that. Plus, I got a sunburn. I got blisters on my hand, I, you know. Okay, well, you know, rethink what it means to go on a river trip for that one. Because this is life. And so what happens when Jesus' followers don't pull together in the same direction on this river of life facing life's rapids? Look at the picture. Uh, basically, you dump the boat. Everybody is launched out of the boat. Uh, and, and if you can see in the bottom of the picture, there's a black slash amidst the, 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 the white water there. And this guy's going toward it. This guy's gonna land on a very hard rock. He's got a helmet on, but the rest of his body is pretty much exposed. It's not going to be a fun experience getting bounced out of this boat. So what happens when Jesus' followers don't pull together in the same direction? What we're just chilling, scary, overwhelming, maybe exhilarating rapids becomes something uh, much worse. And so what we want to talk about, especially this third chapter, is what does it look like to be a person who is saying, uh, I don't control anything except for my responses. I'm immersed in conflict, not of my own making. As well as the conflicts that I in, in, inevitably, inadvertently create because of me being me, right? What, what, what do I do with that? So what happens if we don't pull the same direction? What happens when Jesus' followers pull together in the same direction? Well, they're still on the rapids. They're still getting a sunburn or uh, wind chap or maybe getting blisters or uh, they're getting scared out of their wits. But something else is going on as well. They're going someplace that even if it's overwhelming, they're learning some skills. They're getting some insights that in that boat are probably people who are exploring Christ, learning to grow in Christ, discovering that they're actually committed to Christ, and at some point say, my gosh, my, my life only makes sense to Christ. I guess I, I'm Christ-centered, who knew? But they're all in the same boat trying to navigate these, these rapids. We talked before about what it means to be in the boat. We talked last week about what it means to have an oar or a paddle in your hand. But ultimately, it becomes uh, important that if you're all in the boat, are you going to learn to paddle or row in the same direction? 
Because if you don't, uh, it gets ugly and, and dangerous in a hurry. What happens when we do that? Um, how many of you have seen any of the super blooms? Uh, Anza Borrego, Josh Retreat, anywhere. You've seen it on, and on the news, you've seen it in magazines, you've seen it in the newspaper. Um, when we row together the same direction, as, as hard as it is to be in the boat sometimes, what we start to see is the spiritual equivalent of a super bloom, where drought-stricken, wildfire-ravaged land is renewed and revived and even revealed. The reveal is, who knew? This looks like it's airbrushed, doesn't it? It doesn't look real. No, that, that, if somebody painted this and said, this is a picture of you know, Walker, Walker Canyon uh, uh, by Lake Elsinore, you'd say, no way, that's an airbrushed fake. Uh, and that's why people are trampling right now just to see all this and to enjoy it and to lay down and have pictures taken of them and their 40 family members and friends. Uh, it's an amazing sight to think that, man, uh, this was Brown Hills not that long ago. Where did all the gardeners come from to plant the seeds? Well, the seeds were there. All it took was some water. You know, water. In some ways, it has no power of its own, but the presence of water changes everything, right? Um, put in a wave or a rapid, it becomes very powerful. It's just still water. You drink it, but it could crush you if you get in the wrong situation. So this is where God wants to take us, to a place where, uh, where he is going to cause some things to happen. They're going to bless us and bless the world around us. This is the big idea in 1 Peter. And Peter is unequivocal about, yes, this is so hard, it's miserable. And guess what? It's very, very good because you're with God, who is very, very good. And so Jesus makes us flourish and grow. Here's how. When we see our life as a gift from God and ourselves as members of the body of Christ, these various parts that comprise one body over which Christ is the head, when we see ourselves as a spiritual house being built by God, when we start to align our efforts to exalt the Lord, to lift him up, to acknowledge him as, as, as the boss, as, as the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things, one who knows and loves this world better than anybody, uh, we start to experience the blessing of God in us and through us. This is the big deal, that we see that life is a gift, even in difficult circumstances. We see that I'm a member of the body of Christ, even though I feel so caught up in things that are, that are feeling unbearable at times. Uh, but I'm part of this spiritual house being built by God of a bunch of imperfect people. The first thing I say to anybody visiting our church is that there are no normal people here. Which you can imagine puts everybody immediately at ease, like, oh, I might fit in. Yeah, there might be, they might be my people. We might even be related, you know. Uh, and so we embrace the Lord by being rooted in his word of prayer, by paying attention to our souls, and by becoming equipped to do the good work God created us for. Notice the order of this. We embrace him. We become rooted in him. And then something happens in us. To change the metaphor slightly, we become these beautiful flowers. Out of what looks, looks like a barren, inhospitable place, all of a sudden we are these beautiful flowers. Where did that come from? And, and, and so paying attention to our soul and saying, what is the work that God is doing in me? Is it inviting me to be a person who has the freedom to explore what it looks like to know him? Is it that he's nudging me into a place of growth that I never thought I'd pick up a Bible and read it? I'd want to know how to talk to God in prayer or pray for other people. Or I'd never give my money to support anything but me. Or I'd never make time in my life to be in community with other people more than just to have fun or play golf or go surfing or something. Or because I had to because I had to go to work. But a community that's intentional about growing together? Wow. So paying attention to our soul is about who we are becoming. It's about a being perspective. And when we, when we embrace the Lord and our roots start to go down in Him, we become something 
that is absolutely stunning in its beauty, in its, in its profundity. And we can still see the infallible human being, but we start to see something else emerging that's absolutely captivating. And we start to do things that God has actually created for us to do. Not as in he's, 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 he's given us some mindless thing to do that we were created for, like we're robotically doing something. But he's created us with a capacity, once it's released because of his presence in us, to do things we never thought we could do or would want to do. And so this being and this doing is linked together. This is the big idea. And so as we go through life's rapids, we focus on our mission and we pull together toward him. Whether you're in a marriage, if you don't know what your mission is, you're going to have a very conflicted marriage. Marriage isn't just looking at each other, living for one another, though it starts there. Very quickly, a healthy, good marriage also includes standing shoulder to shoulder, looking at the world, saying, Lord, what is it you want us to do as your partners in the world, to us together? We might do different things, but together we're agreeing on what our mission is. Uh, and we, we're learning to pull together toward him. Different people, different styles, different capacities, even maybe slightly different focuses, or if you prefer, foci. Our true identity and our power to run life's rapids comes from thriving in His grace, growing in His love, always. So this inner work of the Holy Spirit, informed with the content of His Word, encouraged by the people around us, allowed, sets us up to say, what will I do with what I'm receiving? And so the, the James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, friend of Peter, says it this way, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourself. Oh, I heard it. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The idea of, 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 of listening to the word or reading the word is that we start to pay attention to what God is doing to shape us, the spiritual development, the formation of our souls, the way he sets our spirits free to want what he wants for us. This is powerful. And so that's why when, when you see a healthy follower of Jesus, a healthy group of followers of Jesus, there's always a social impact. They become internally connected, but externally focused. They would say, we're the primary constituency in terms of, of the core of this community, but we are not the primary focus of the community. We're looking as we cruise through this river and go through the rapids of life together, we're looking for people who need to get in the boat. Very powerful, very profound. And so who we are in Christ determines what we do for Christ. And so we want other people to experience what we've experienced. And so that brings us to the first big point. That long introduction leads to this. Pulling together in the same direction is our primary mission. Pulling together in the same direction is our primary mission. Now you might say, well, I'm, I'm battling deep depression right now. I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of the game. No, in the midst of your battle. Well, I'm unemployed. I'm, I'm dealing with radiation treatment. Uh, I'm, I'm dealing with this or that. You go, okay. Wherever you are situated, you are still part of this boat, and you can be pulling together with other people. Here's why. Because you're essential for it. And not to not pay attention to the big issue that's in front of you, and to realize maybe it's the severity of it. But to say, in the midst of me being in Christ and doing what he's calling me to do, these other issues will be addressed. And if I, if I put everything aside while I'm addressing on whatever issue it is, that issue will define you and consume you. It'll suck the life out of you. It'll suck your perspective away to the point you'll say, there's no hope for me. And you become even more incapacitated. And so if our primary mission is pulling together the same direction, that means in our community we're saying, hey, here's, what I, here's the deficits I'm bringing. Here's the needs I'm bringing. Here's the pains I'm experiencing. And so everybody on that boat says, all right then. 
We're going to row at a cadence and a pace that includes you. Why? Because we still have to navigate these rapids, and it's better to do it together than on our own. So whatever you're going through, let the people in on your world. Invite them in to say, hey, would you uh, be praying with me, encouraging me, talking with me through what I'm experiencing? Because uh, if you think it's heroic and more Christian to carry it on your own, you're deceiving yourself, and you're depriving the body of Christ the opportunity to be in the boat with you. And the rapids are going to get so big and so crazy uh, that you're going to say, oh, why did I ever sign up for this? And so it's our primary mission. So Peter says, as you come to him, this was last week, as you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love this picture of a living stone, as if a rock could talk. Yeah, I'm here, uh, I'm here to be built into something beautiful. This word, you know, Petros, like Peter, the guy writing the letter, it means stone, rock. But this word, lithos, lithos is, a, is, a, is, is could be a lot of different kinds of rocks, but in this case, it's a rock that has been prepared to be, to be used in building something beautiful. Uh, those of you who have been to Israel, if you've been uh, the Western Wall, that retaining wall that would support the whole temple that no longer is there, there's, there's, there's stones as big as that section of the wall, and they're perfectly prepared, and you think, who did this? How did they quarry this? How do they refine it and, and shape it? How do they get it in place? See, you can't even put a piece of paper uh, through the, 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 the join. Uh, so this is the living stone that God is saying, you come to me in whatever condition you are in, I'm gonna be, you're going to be part of this living house, this oikos. And this house is going to be a blessing to everybody who is touched by it. Why? Because oikos, that house, is the same word we use for oikonomia, economics. The lifeblood of a home and a community and a country a nation, the world, is this economic thing. Resources being created and released. And so you are a holy priesthood. You. You. Actually, you. You might say, well, no, no, it must be pointing to the person right behind me. Uh, and I know you're not pointing to the person next to me because I know they couldn't be. You know. But the idea is, what does a priest do? A priest represents God to people and people to God. And they don't have to be dressed in fine regalia. They can do that anywhere at any time. And so what we're called to be in Christ is a priesthood of all believers. All of us are pastors of mission, uh, missionaries or ministers of God's grace. So when I say my job as a pastor is to raise up colleagues and peers, I'm not um, um, being hyperbolic or hyperventilating <laughs> even. I'm saying truly my job is to say, hey, what has God put in your hand that you and I can be colleagues in the gospel together? How about us being partners in the gospel together? We go off and do different things with the resources we have, but we have this identity that we're a priesthood of all believers. And we don't put on errors. Rather, we say, who, who thought I could even possibly think of this? If you're in elementary school, you could be a priesthood of, of, of the believers. You can be part of that. If you're in junior high, high school, college, graduate school. If you feel like, look, I am so old and tired, I don't want to be part of that. Too bad, you're part of it. Uh, and your priesthood might, might work really well from a chair or, or, or from a horizontal position. The power of this is that these spiritual sacrifices aren't just dead animals or the blood of dead animals. It's all the things that we do in Jesus' name that honor and glorify him and bless people in his name. All you say is, hey, thanks so much for the care you're giving me here in the ICU. That, that, that's a spiritual sacrifice. That's, that's a beautiful thing of saying I'm extending the love of God, the grace of God to you. So this is where Peter's going. If this is our mission, we, we have to say, okay, I'm part of this mission I want to learn to be pulling together with my fellow priests and ministers of the gospel. 
Whether I'm exploring Christ or Christ-centered, I'm still part of the boat and I'm still part of the process. Well, once we start doing that, we realize that pulling together in the same direction, second big idea, requires cohesive, disciplined love. Now, you might not think of love and discipline going together, but, but love demands discipline. Discipline does not mean punishment, punitive. Discipline means saying, this is my capacity to love, it's this big. I wonder if God in his grace and his love can expand my capacity. One of the most beautiful things I've witnessed is a development of, of Christ's presence in people increases their capacity to love. What starts as a little trickle of love becomes a deep well. A big river. Uh, one of my favorite lines in an ancient movie called Lawrence of Arabia <clears throat> is when this guy is the chief <clears throat> of all these Bedouins. Uh, basically says, I am a river to my friends. In a dry place, I am a river to my friends. So this is where God wants to take us. A disciplined love that says, look, I love you so much, I'm going to confront you. I, I, I love you so much, I'm going to comfort you. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you so much that I'm going to forgive you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reconcile with you. Whatever that takes. It's cohesive. Why it builds community. Cohesive just means community. We get, we get closer together. Unit cohesion is how the military works best. Unit cohesion is how a family works best. Unit cohesion is how a team works best. You can have the best athletes. If they don't have cohesion, they don't perform very well. And if, we have, if everybody is paddling in their own way, you flip the boat. But if we paddle in the same direction uh, and, and see it as our mission, and we start to submit ourselves to the discipline of learning how to love in a way that pulls us together, that's powerful. That's disruptive in the best possible sense. It's revolutionary in the best possible sense. Peter says that. Finally, all of you. Finally, is kind of premature because he has two more chapters, right? But at this point, he's been saying, look, you're, you're slaves, you're exiled, you're foreigners, you're strangers. It's a horrible situation. Here's how you should function. Honor the king. Be a good citizen wherever you are. Love your wife. Love your husband. Take care of your kids. If you're a slave, do that honorably. Bring dignity to that horrible situation. And so he says, now finally all of you, here's my message to everybody, no matter what your status, your state, age or stage. All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. He's describing harmony. Like-minded isn't thinking the same thoughts all the time, having the same ideas. It's saying, are we all agreed on the mission? Are we all submitting to that discipline of learning how to love? Going way beyond our, our felt capacity to do that? Then that means we're like-minded. And now within that like-mindedness, we can say, okay, what are the various roles? Hey, you need to be in the front of the boat. You're super strong. You can be at the back of the boat. You're going to do this. You're the one deciding to sit in the middle of the boat and just scream for the time being. Like-minded, sympathetic. That is, we care enough to say, what, what are your needs? What are you going through? How are you experiencing this? You've been beat up all day by the Romans, and you come home, and you're out of sorts with your family. And they go, okay, it sounds like you had a really hard day. Instead of reacting, how dare you come home and, and be that way? You respond. You say, okay, so what's going on with you? Have you noticed that when you're bored, or when you're upset, when you're feeling a particular temptation, it, it tends to be that, wow, you know, I'm just stuck. How about if you start looking at it this way? Say, I wonder what need God is making me aware of. Anytime I talk to a person, they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship with somebody who's not my spouse. I'm really ashamed of myself, but I, I, I can't get out of it because I, I'm, I'm deeply in love. And I'm saying, okay, you're saying this is not your spouse, right? You, you know that's a 
not the relationship you want to be in. Yeah, 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 that's why I'm here to talk to you about it. Or sometimes I have people try to justify it. You don't even know it's so spiritual. Oh, I bet it is. What I want to say to them, what I do say to them is, do you, do you understand that there's a big need? There's nothing to be ashamed about the need that you have, but the way you're solving it is, is, is shameful. It's destructive. That's why you're here. Because you're saying, I don't know what to do, and I'm stuck, and I, I, I'm, I know I can't continue like this. So what we want to do is to start to say, when I'm feeling big feelings, when I'm experiencing things, what need is that pointing to? If you're bored, I guess I've outgrown the Lord. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you've outgrown your small experience of the Lord. And that boredom, that restlessness is saying, hey, are you ready to maybe open yourself up more? In the marriage, I think I've outgrown my partner, my spouse. Mm. Maybe you've grown complacent and you make so many assumptions that there's no more curiosity or discovery and therefore you're saying, I'm done. There's nothing left here. Guess what? They're probably thinking the same way. They just don't have the heart to tell you. So the idea is let's start to see that these issues in us point to needs that only the Lord ultimately can fix. He can use counselors, you know, books, other experiences, conversations, all that to work it. But only the Lord ultimately can meet our deepest needs. So he's saying to them, look, all of you, be like-minded about who Jesus is in you. Be sympathetic toward one another. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. This describes harmony where many voices come together and make a beautiful sound. Different voices. Uh, this is what every great team does. What is your best strength? What is your part of the team? You snap the ball, you pitch the ball, you know, are you an outside shooter, an inside, you know, all those things in every sport, every human endeavor. There's a harmony, there's a meshing together, a unity, and that's, that's what, the, what Peter is saying is we desperately need that if we're going to be the people of God as exiles and foreigners and strangers. Because the whole point of being here is not just to be miserable and whine about it. The whole point of being in this place where we feel like strangers, exiles, and foreigners is so that we can bless people in Jesus' name in the most unlikely so we have to start with learning how to love and care for one another. The second verse here, the second part of the verse, he's saying, he's now saying, and this is how your outward focus should be about those people that are making life difficult for you. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit the blessing. Powerful, isn't it? I mean, I'm supposed to just roll over or be a doormat? No. You're supposed to see a greater perspective of where you are. That God is at work in you, and if you just if you just lower yourself to that immediate response, you're going to miss an opportunity to see God at work in you and through you. And so he says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Do you know that when you discipline cohesive love seeks peace, and you know when you seek peace, you become immediately disruptive. Why? If you truly seek peace, you, over, you want to overcome complacency and denial. I grew up in a family where there was massive conflict and then it would be smoothed over. You'd never ever resolve the source of the conflict. You just keep blowing up and blowing up and blowing up to the point that you're walking around an eggshell. You know, don't anybody do anything that cause, might cause somebody. You know, and if you've been in that situation as a family, you know holidays are to be dreaded. Because that's like the perfect place for somebody just to lose it and you go, oh no. And who, who wants to stay in that? They don't. They want to get out of that. So pursuing peace says, can we name and own what, what, what we're going through here? And see, God's grace speak into that. God's love speak into that. And so Paul, Peter's saying, look, as you, as you relate to your family and your community of exiles, seek, seek the peace of the Lord. And then together, and then individually, you can seek the peace in this hostile place of the Lord. 
And so for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God is listening. God is responding. God is using this in your life, even if you feel like it's a burden and an, 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 an unwanted gift from God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, so God is not complicit in evil. Peter is telling them in the first two chapters, now in chapter 3, you've been promoted to a high and holy place. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. God is building a holy house. He's raising up a holy priesthood. You're that. You had to bless this inhospitable, hostile place. And in fact, generations showed that. They did that. It was a profound transformation. Where they're living right now as a Roman province, when, when the, the Western Roman world collapsed, this replaced it. Not just as a political entity, but as a force for good. The gospel came sweeping out of this area and touched uh, people all over the world. Out of this area, from people who were one-time exiles and foreigners, captives. So he says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, there's plenty of people, right. But at some point, somebody's going to notice that something is going on here. I don't understand. We keep harming you, but you keep doing good. What's up with that? See, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Why? Because you don't have to fear their threats. You don't have to be frightened. Because you belong to the Lord. So pulling together in the same direction means we thrive together in a community under Christ's lordship. We share his values. He's, we're learning skills that he's telling us we need to possess. We're making commitments that he evokes out of us. Yes, I want to be committed to your purposes, Lord. And processes that allow us to navigate the rapids. Processes like, what should I do if that Roman guy insults me in the marketplace? What should I do if they do this? If they say that? Well, let's rehearse that. When our kids were little, we'd say, okay, so you're in a situation, and this is what happens. What, what would you do? I don't know. Well, here's maybe, let's think of some steps you could do. You do this, you do this, you do this. So you, in a sense, you forearm your kids. Your kids now walk into situations confident, going, I know what I'm going to do. I know how I can handle this, because my mom and dad have my back. I don't have to be intimidated by this kid or that kid or this situation or that situation. I have a, a larger perspective. My life means more than this moment or this social awkwardness. And so that's what Peter's saying to us in this. We want for others what God is giving us, don't we? We want for others what God is giving us. If we don't feel like God is giving us anything, we're not paying attention. So start paying attention. You'll see what God is giving you, even in the hardest situations. And then you're going to have something to offer other people. And you're going to say, I want so much for you to have this. And they're going to say to you, what is with you? You seem to have this composure, this ability to bounce back, this ability to take things in stride. You speak the truth. You have deep commitments and beliefs. But somehow you're so open and embracing in the crazy situations. What's up with you? And you'll be able to talk about that. And so pulling together in the same direction is worth our suffering and sacrifice. If it's our primary mission... And it's about being brought together around disciplined love. Uh, it's worth our suffering and sacrifice. I mean, this is a silly thing to say. What can be worth suffering and sacrifice? Mm, how about a baby? The pain of childbirth, the pain of, of pregnancy and then childbirth. Uh, there's a woman here today with the most darling little baby. It's two weeks old. She had a horribly, horrible, horrible, horrible. I think it was a two-year pregnancy probably. It felt like to her, you know. She was sick. I mean, like sicker than she could imagine. First kid was like, that's easy, I'll have another one. And then the second kid, oh my gosh, who knew you could be this sick for so long? And then the childbirth experience, and then boom, you have this beautiful baby, and, and the dad's going, we had a baby. You go, oh, buddy, yeah. you, we did not have a baby. Your wife had a baby. You know? 
Well, no, I helped in the whole breathing thing. Yeah, before you fainted. I was still breathing. I was still breathing, though I fainted. Uh, it's worth our suffering and sacrifice to be part of what God is doing. Yeah, but I've suffered so much. Okay. I guess it must be really worth it to God because he's taking you through this very difficult time. Isn't this a fail? No, it's a rapid. It's a rapid. And you're going to get through it. And if it takes you longer, so what? You're on nobody's pace but yours. Well, how come everybody else didn't? I don't know. I was one time on a long, long boat trip and I was just sick every day. To the point that I need something I throw it up. After a while, they'd give me some food and just throw it over the side of it. Like, why bother eating it and having it come out anyway? And, and somebody at the end of the trip said, hey, how's your trip? I said, oh, man, I'm sick the whole time. Oh, no, really? No, it was awesome. I said, what do you mean it's awesome? I said, we had such an incredible time. Maybe you've been on a camping trip where they had mosquitoes. They, they, they imported them just for your trip. Well, how was Yosemite? Oh, my gosh, it was awesome. I got mosquito, well, there's mosquito bites all over me. What's the other stuff? Poison oak. It was awesome. <laughs> but what? How was it awesome? Because the suffering and the sacrifice were worth it. I came back a different person. All of a sudden, I saw my problems in a whole new perspective. All of a sudden, I had a different way of approaching things. Wow. So Peter says this, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He is the solution to your problem. He is your number one advocate. He is the one who wants the best for you when nobody else even notices you. He's the one who has resources for you when you've run out of resources, who has answers for you when you no longer have answers to your questions. And then as you, as you revere him and start to be confident in him and be able to articulate what you're experiencing in him because you're paying attention to your soul, you're not just doing stuff to be busy, you'll be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And when you have that opportunity, do it with gentleness and respect. So the Roman overlord says to this exile, Okay, I've been abusing you for a couple years now and taking advantage of you, and you keep bouncing back. What is this Jesus thing all about? Well, finally, you asked. And I'll tell you, the good news is you're a sinner and you're going to hell. No, that's not the story. The story would be, well, you know, I was really pretty, pretty bitter for a long time at God and at, at actually you. But in that process, God spoke to me and started to show me a bigger picture of him and me and you. And so it started to become clear to me that as a slave, I could still influence you by simply blessing you with the ways God has blessed me. If you want to see a documentation of this, turn to the book of Philemon. I call it a book. It's like one little skinny page in the back of the New Testament. Good luck finding it, by the way. It's, I mean, it's, it's buried in there. And if you have a Bible with really thin pages, I, you'll never find it. So just go online and read it, you know. Philemon is a guy who owns a slave called Onesimus who runs away. And, and then a while later, he gets a letter from his dear friend Paul, who led him to Jesus. Paul says, hey, Philemon, great news. It looks like I am going to be able to visit you. Um, but if you would, I'm going to send my son of the Lord to you first, and then I'm going to follow very shortly right after that. You're going to love him. I think you know him. His name is Onesimus, which means useful. I know he was not useful to you, pun. But now I think you'll find him very useful. He's been very useful to me. God has used him in my life while I've been in prison. I can't wait to, to have you and him reunite in a whole different relationship. Because you know now what? You're technically still his owner and he is your slave, but isn't it great to think that you are now brothers in Christ? Imagine how tortured Philemon was reading this thing. It's one of the most brilliant diplomatic letters of all time. I mean, 
it, it's, it's, it's like you read that letter and you think, oh, I, I get where the letter from a Birmingham jail came from. How do I speak bedrock truth in a way that is very engaging and attractive and eloquent? So he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He's not just saying something trite and simplistic. Hey, good's better than evil. He's saying the good that you're experiencing in being saved by Christ, that puts you in a place to experience some very difficult times, is way, way better than the person who doesn't know Christ. Is bleak for them. They're just doing what their natural self says. i got to be about me. There's nowhere for them to go. There's no upside for them but eventually meeting Christ. So that's what he's saying here. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good. Better that than not knowing him at all, right? And so he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he went out of his way for you. That's how he wants you to think and you to, uh, to behave. Because of what he's doing in you to shape your being, uh, he wants you to do the things that reflect what you're becoming. And remember, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so we know that Jesus suffered and sacrificed. Why? To bring us to God. In him, then, we too are being made alive in the spirit. God is doing an amazing and immense work in you. Pay attention to that. Don't miss it. Don't say, oh, I think I can hear the rapids. I'm getting out of the water. No, those rapids are part of what he's using to make you into the person uh, you will be. As you respond to him. So let me give you some quick takeaways on this. We're called to be authentic examples of practical faith in the face of, and in practical faith in the face of life's challenges. That's just a simple uh, uh, way of saying when people look at you in your wheelchair, they go, "What are you? Why can you do this so well? Why can you? Well, I, you know, it's because I have faith in Christ. I'm in a chair, but my chair doesn't stop me from being alive." How about this? The second big takeaway. We're honest about our struggles and clear about where we uh, find help in our need. We don't pretend that everything is, is too cool for school. Uh, being, being the recipient of Peter's letter was not because they were in this easy-peasy situation, you know? It's because they were in a dire straits situation and he wanted them to understand the real situation they were in. They thought they knew the real situation. He's telling you there's a more real situation you're in. And so be honest about your struggles, but clear about where you're going to find help, because our help is in the Lord alone. Three, we live fully in the present with Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because he owns the future. And so we don't need to be afraid of the future. He owns it. He owns it. There's no improving. There's no better deal to be had but the future that he owns, and that he's preparing us to inhabit. And our future is happening right now, as he's preparing us to inhabit Fourth, fourth takeaway, our resilience, our focus, our purpose, our persistence, our adaptability is all rooted in his kingdom. These are the bennies of his kingdom. These are the benefits, the gifts, the outcomes of his kingdom. You will become more resilient, more focused, more purposeful, more persistent, more adaptable. Instead of just becoming bitter and stuck and hostile and suspicious or envious and jealous, those things are rooted in our nature, but the things we want, we really want, and we really need are all rooted in his kingdom, and we have full access to his kingdom, even as exiles and foreigners and strangers of the land. So the fifth thing is we can count it a joy and privilege to be in God's boat, pulling together in the same direction. 
glorifying him and blessing people as we go. And we see that instead of being things to be feared or avoided, life's rapids actually draw us closer to him and closer to one another. How did you guys get so close? We did a river trip together. And we noticed that we both could scream at a very high pitch. <laughs> and so we knew we had a lot in common. We also realized that we could actually learn how to use the paddles and stay in the boat and have a really fun time. And so we want to do it next year. We want you to go with us. You're in charge of screaming. So um, what a gift that is, don't you think? I'm so glad Peter wrote this letter. The Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for inspiring Peter to write this letter, for speaking to him and through him, and in turn, uh, speaking to perhaps even through us. Lord, we pray that we can embrace this, that we can learn to enjoy being in your boat, equipped with the oars and paddles you've entrusted to us, pulling together in the same direction because of our common mission and the love that we're learning to embrace and grow deeply through. So that, Lord, even our struggles and our suffering and our sacrifice feels like a gift. May we be that kind of person, those kind of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Uh, this brings us to a time of tithes and offering. This is where those who call La Jolla Community Church their home give back and partner with the mission of bringing forth the gospel in this community. And as the ushers come forward, if you're interested in more information about the women's retreat, or if you're interested in signing up for the Easter block party, or if you have any questions whatsoever, please see me right after the service. So let us continue our time of worship with giving and song.
Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> 